you take your Bible and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, we'll read in just a minute. It's good to be back with you this morning. I was out last week with one of our men's groups uh, at the uh, Cheap Mountain Club. They invited me as their special guest to have the opportunity to watch them catch a lot of fish, got to do some hiking, eat a lot of great food, but it's good to be back. And while I was away, the Lord put a message on my heart, uh, just in general, a text on my heart, Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. I've never preached this text at Bible Center, so I'm excited to dive in. It's a relatively short message, at least compared to the messages I usually preach. Uh, But I was going to title this message, Why I'm Thankful for Bible Center. But as I started studying this week, I realized I needed to change the title uh, to Why I Thank God for Bible Center Church. And you'll see why in just a minute. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, to a church about 2,000 years ago. Uh, Paul was one of the leaders of the early church, and he writes and gives five reasons why he was thankful for them, why he thanked God for them. And so in the next few minutes, I want to give you five reasons why I thank God for you, why I thank God for you. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, please stand with me out of respect for the Bible, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Why do I thank God for Bible Center Church? Well, the first reason is, number one, we see it in verse 2. You are a faithful family. You're a faithful family. In verse 2, he says, To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, graced And peace to you from God our Father. The Apostle Paul, to our knowledge, was never, had never attended church or never even been to the city of Colossae. But he had heard of what was going on. He's writing this letter from a Roman prison. He had heard of their faithfulness, he had heard of their grace. And so, even though he never met them, in verse 2, he calls them brothers and sisters. He says, You are faithful brothers and sisters. And he thanks God for their faithfulness, that they haven't given up, that they're still committed to the gospel. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, what might have caused them to give up? What were some of the discouraging influences at that time? Well, the first discouraging influence would have been the Roman persecution that was just around the corner. It wouldn't be long after this that Rome would put a full-on assault on those who followed the way, those who followed Jesus. And so Paul, as you see in his writings, as it progresses, He knows this is coming, and it's not going to be long. But the second influence, or maybe the discouraging influence, could have been just to live in the city of Colossae alone. 400 years before Jesus, this city was a huge city. 
Its population rivaled just about any other city in Asia Minor, our modern-day Turkey. But by the time the Apostle Paul came on the scene, Jesus came on the scene some 400 years later, we find that this city had dwindled. You see, there were two trade routes that ran through the city and intersected in Colossae, but they actually had been moved about 15 miles away to the city of Laodicea. And so imagine if somebody would move Interstate 77, Interstate 79, uh, Interstate 64 out of Charleston, and they all intersected maybe in Tays Valley somewhere. Imagine the effect that that would have on our economy. That's what had happened in the city of Colossae. And so the Apostle Paul knows the struggles of just being a Christian, but also staying faithful in a city in decline. And he writes to them and he says, I thank God that you are faithful brothers and sisters. Paul loved his Savior. The church loved their Savior. And they both loved the city, and they desperately wanted the city to know the Savior. And Paul knew that it would take commitment It would take faithfulness in order for that to happen. In verses 4 and 5, he continues to talk about their faith. He says, Because you have heard, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Faith is this belief, it's this confidence in a promise that bleeds over into commitment. It's confidence that leads to commitment. And so last week when I was away and I was thinking about Bible Center Church and the faithfulness of this congregation, just think about this, 76 years, for over 76 years, you, this church, you, this family, has been faithful to the gospel right here in Charleston. That's almost unheard of today in this day where there's this flash of a pan faithfulness or flash of a pan Christianity. And so I wrote out some things for which I'm thankful for your faithfulness. Over the last three years, God has used you to win coworkers to Jesus, to win family members to Jesus, adults, students, children. And the last three years, God has used you to see 135 people baptized right here at Bible Center Church, either in our outdoor or our indoor baptisms. God has used your faithfulness to invite people so that we have 146 new members just in the last three years. Many of you are involved and you've been faithful in Celebrate Recovery, something we only dreamed about. I remember over three years ago, somebody on our staff bringing it up over lunch. Do you think we could ever have a Celebrate Recovery? And through your faithfulness, we have that now city ministries and special needs ministry and the foster closet and all the the events that John talked about and the medical clinic and your giving just in the last three years, not to mention the previous 73. I thank God that you have been faithful. And we know it's not always easy. We've gone through a number of transitions in the last few years. But when I think about Bible Center, I think of it as a faithful family. Number two, I thank God that you are a loving family, a loving family. Verses four and five, Paul writes, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope on the account of the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. 
Now, this idea of love, so he's thanked them for his faith, their faith. Now he's thanking them for their love. The word love is the same word in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's a sacrificial kind of love. It's not the love that comes and goes. It's the love that says, I am committed to you. I'm committed to those around me. Where would they get this kind of love? Well, verse 8, Paul's going to tell them that it came from the Spirit. You see, this kind of love can only emerge. It's not natural. It can only emerge from the Spirit. As we love people who don't look like us and act like us and vote like us and believe like us and go to places, this is the kind of love that Paul was bragging on this church for. Verse 4 says they loved all of God's people. They were committed to one another. Have you ever thought, what is our greatest weapon for witnessing? Other than prayer, what is our greatest tool that we have to win the people around us for Jesus? You know, believe it or not, it's not our intellect. I know there's a lot of smart people in here, but it's not our intellect. It's not our quick wit. It's not our flashiness. It's not our programs. But in John 13, 35, and 36, Jesus said it's our what? It's our love. He says, by this will all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Paul knew that when the people in the community thought of the Colossian church, they thought of love. When I think about the Bible Center Church family, and the love that you have shown over the last year, I'll ask you this question. Is our love perfect on this side of heaven? No way. Are you a perfect, loving father all the time? Those of you dad, no. Are you a perfect, loving mother? Uh, are you a perfectly loving church member? No. None of us are. But yet you've got this reputation in the city of Charleston, especially in recent years, for, for loving uh, this city, well, really, for the, all 76 years, loving this city in sacrificial ways. I heard stories, um, and it was really hard for me to hear because I'm from here. I grew up in St. Albans. I was born in Charleston. And I've heard that if you're not from this city, that it, sometimes it's hard to break in to the people who live here, or if you're, especially if you're not West Virginian. And so that was kind of hard. Like, well, sure, nah, come on. We're the friendliest people in the world. But sometimes, if we don't, we don't even know it, we can be very friendly to the people that are like in our group or in our family. And so I heard that there was a number of people coming to us uh, who were not from our state. They come here for jobs, work, family, etc. And they were having a hard time connecting at Bible Center. And, and one of those couples, uh, Charlie and Leah, actually started a group on Monday nights for people who, who maybe are new to the area. And I hear that, that that group is growing and that group is finding community and they're praying together and they're loving one another. I love stories like that. To me, that's just another example of how God is showing his love through the Bible Center Church family. I wrote down a couple of other ways where I've seen your love, funeral care, meal care, even in our men's and women's ministry. If you're part of our women's ministry, they are brainstorming every way possible and praying in every time possible uh, for God to reach the ladies of this city. I was at one of the men's events back in January whenever we had the government shutdown. And I know this gentleman, and if he knew that I heard, he would not have done what he did. But he didn't know I was there, and he started talking to a gentleman, another dude who came to Dude's Night, and he found out he was part of the government shutdown. And the dude got out his wallet 
and gave the other guy money. The guy didn't ask for money. Gave him some money to bless this guy because he knew he was going through a hard time. And I just had to go to my office and just take a few minutes by myself because I didn't want him to know it. But, man, it was moving to me. That's the kind of stuff that's going on at Bible Center all the time. You're a faithful family, but you're also a loving family. Number three, you're a growing family. Verse 6, Paul says, In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. If you're taking notes, you want to write two columns or two words, deeper and wider. Bearing fruit refers to growing deeper, and growing throughout the whole world refers to growing wider. So let's think first about this fruit type of growth, bearing fruit. Uh, Throughout the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul refers to Christians being part of the new creation. We know there's coming a day where God's going to make a new heavens and new earth. But the overtone of this entire book is that Paul says that new creation actually started when Jesus rose from the grave and he's working in us through the power of the gospel as being part of God's new creation. How do you know if you are becoming part of the new creation? How do you know that? Of course, putting faith in Christ. But what are some evidences that you're becoming more spiritual? Well, the answer is in places like Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance or discipline. Against such there is no law. So in other words, we're growing inwardly. We're growing deeper in our faith. But the second way we want to grow is wider in our faith. And so Paul writes to them and he says, look, I hear that the gospel is going out of the city of Colossae through your church and it's going to the entire world. I found two quotes this week that I love. You know, we actually have the writings of pastors uh, within about 100 years or less of Jesus. Uh, So we have the writings of Jesus, the the words of Jesus and the followers of Jesus who who wrote down his words. But in, in church history, we have Books. We've got volumes of the fathers that we call them the church fathers. To be a church father, all you essentially had to be was a pastor who wrote within a few years of Jesus. And so one of those guys, his name was Justin Martyr. Think about that as a last name, Justin Martyr. He wrote this, There is no people, Greek or barbarian, or of any other race, by whatever appellation or manners they may be distinguished, however ignorant of arts or agriculture, whether they dwell in tents or wander about in covered wagons, among whom prayers and thanksgivings are not offered in the name of Jesus or the crucified Jesus to the Father and Creator of all things. So within a hundred years of Jesus, he says, you can travel anywhere and meet anywhere or anybody and somebody's praying in the name of Jesus. Within just a hundred years, About half a century later, a man named Tertullian writes this, We are but of yesterday, and yet we, talking about the Christian church, already fill your cities, your islands, your camps, your palace, senate, and forum. We have left you only to your temples. God wants the gospel to grow. 
And I love what John said earlier as he was bragging on you as a church for growing. The desire is never to fill up a chair. The desire is always to fill up heaven. The desire is always to fill up the glory of God. People ask me, Pastor Matt, do you want your church to grow? The answer has always been and always, always will be an emphatic yes. I want us to grow deeper in our faith, but there are 186,000 people in Kanawha County, and if it's true that only about 10,000 are attending an evangelical church in Kanawha County today, that means there's 176,000 people that aren't hearing the gospel message. So yes, I want us to read, doesn't matter where they end up going to church, I want to reach them with the gospel, saturate this region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I am excited, I'm encouraged. When John showed me these figures last week, that since October, year over year, month over month, we have actually grown since the month of October, I was encouraged. Now that's not everything. Like church growth isn't everything. We could get up and give away a Volkswagen every week and say, hey, if you come to church, we're gonna have a drawing for a Volkswagen. We probably could pack this place out in five services. So growth isn't everything, but it is something. But you're also growing deeper in your faith. You're attending Bible studies and prayer groups all throughout the week, core classes and reading our going deeper study guides. Um, the young professionals, I hear, I see pictures and I hear uh, about the, this class, this group studying theology. Many of you are studying the same books our elders are studying with open Bibles and open books. Somebody stopped me in the hall after the first service just to remind me that it's not only the young professionals studying deep theology, but they wanted to know too that their group and their class are studying these things. This is the joy of being a pastor, seeing people say, I want to go deeply in God's word. You are a faithful church. You're a loving church. And by God's grace, you're a growing church. But number four, you're also a servant-hearted church, a servant-hearted family. Verse 7, Paul says, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Now, who was Epaphras? You'll like this. Paphras was not the pastor. According to chapter 4 and verse 7, the pastor at the church at Colossae was a man by the name of Archippus, which I think is an amazing name. But Archippus was most likely the pastor. And Epaphras, there's no record of him having any official role in terms of being a pastor. Maybe he was a lay elder. But I love what Warren Wearsby, who passed away this past week, Warren Wearsby writes this. There is a good lesson for us here. God does not always need an apostle or a full-time Christian worker to get a ministry established. Here was a layman used of God to start ministries in at least three cities. I believe right now I am preaching to a room full of Epaphrasus. Now some of you name your child Epaphras. I'll buy you a gift card. Just let me know. I can't wait for the child dedication. But I believe I'm looking at a room full of them. You, you serve in Awana. You serve downstairs with children on Sundays. You, you hold babies and you change diapers and you serve in hospitality. I, I thought I got here early in the morning. I was here at 7 a.m. this morning. And there was already somebody bringing coffee around so that we could drink coffee this morning. 
That's an Epaphras. Uh, worship ministries and care ministries and serving with our owls and, and in our groups and in our school and on our maintenance. This past week, now I'm, I'm not the pastor who like spies on everybody, I promise. I have better things to do. But I saw somebody this week out in our parking lot picking up trash. This person doesn't, isn't on our payroll. This person doesn't wear a Bible Center shirt. They're just a Bible Center member. And they're out picking up trash in our parking lot. And I thought, dear God, thank you. I would stack up, I know it's not a competition, I would stack up our church people against any church in the United States because you are a faithful people, a servant-hearted people. And lastly, we have to ask the question, why are you this way? Why do you do what you do? Why are you like you are? Well, the answer, I believe, is in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, Paul writes, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Number five, you're a gospel-centered people. Now, for those of you who love to diagram sentences, believe it or not, Somewhere in the rank of hobbies, I actually enjoy this. But for those of you who love diagramming sentences, all two or three of you, you like this. If you were to diagram, in the original, Colossians 1, 3 through 8, it's one sentence. It's all one sentence. But it's kind of fun to diagram. If you were to do that, you would find that all the little branches point back to this truth in verse 4 and 5. All the little branches point back to the fact that the reason they were like they were and who they were was because they believed in the hope of the gospel. That's why they were servant-hearted. That's why they were loving. That's why they were faithful. That's why they were growing. It was the hope of the gospel. And that's really what we've seen here at Bible Center over the last few years. This, not, not refining the gospel. We've always had the gospel, but just we've tried to reemphasize the gospel. We say that the gospel is that God creates that's what the Colossians were believing and understanding. Colossians chapter 1, they, they learned that Jesus was actually part of that creative process. We've learned this past year that sin breaks. And so the Colossians knew that. As you read Colossians chapter 1, you can see that they were learning from the Apostle Paul that they had been saved from the, present, or from the uh, penalty of sin and that Jesus was saving them from the power of sin. It's important that churches understand that we're sinners too. Or else we would just become moralists. We put the Bible under our arm and we walk in and expect only those people to come to our church if they want to be good like us. I want people who are at our church that want to be changed like we're being changed. Forgiven like we're being forgiven of our sin. God creates, sin breaks, Jesus saves. Paul declares probably outside of the book of Romans one of the most beautiful gospel messages in all the New Testament in the book of Colossians. Jesus is transforming us, and one day he's going to restore us. Bible Center has a rich 76-year history of believing in the second coming of Christ. Now this week, this past week, while I was up at the Cheap Mountain Club hiking, I thought Jesus was coming back. Sometimes I exaggerate, right? So I'm learning to like actually tell you, hey, warning, I'm about to exaggerate. This is not one of those times. I'm not about to exaggerate. Let me tell you what happened. So we get to the Cheap Mountain Club last Thursday. I don't like to fish. 
And so I decided to go hiking. I'm about a mile and a half up river, having a great time. Just my girl said taking pictures of rocks and fossils and stuff, but it was fun for me. And I was hanging out praying. I'd gone through my prayer list and I was on my way back down river. On my way back down, I didn't have anything else, you know, programmed to pray for. So I'm just saying, Lord, lead me, lead our church, help us to experience your power. No joke. All right, no joke. The ground started to shake. It did. The you're looking at me like you're great. No, the ground started to shake. Trees started to shake. This noise was so loud from the heavens, so loud. I'm telling you, it like hurt your ears. It was, it was piercing. It was like a, a thousand trains over your head. It's like hovering so that the ground's shaking, the trees are shaking. I'm hearing this noise, and I'm processing my theology like really, really quick. Like, this does not sound like a trumpet. Paul said it was going to be a trumpet. It doesn't sound like a trumpet. It, all this stuff is going through my head, right? I'm thinking about the different versions of the end times and like, well, maybe so-and-so is right. And, and I'm thinking through all this. And, and so um, my knees started shaking. I, I can remember as a kid in the fifth grade, I got in trouble, had to go see the principal, and my knees shaking. It just brought back that memory. My knees were literally shaking. And, and so much so that I got weak. And I went down on one knee, and I really thought, I thought Jesus was coming back at the Cheat River. I really did. Now, I'm glad there's no video camera, but I held up my arms like this, and I said, it's all of grace. And about that time, two fighter jets flew over top of me and skimmed the trees. I've never felt so close to Jesus in the few minutes after that. Like, all my sins were confessed like this, man. I was ready to go. Uh, but we have a, I have no idea what that has to do with the sermon, but I had to work it in. Yeah, second coming. Jesus is coming again. And we believe that. And that hope is why we do what we do. So why would we take some time this morning to, to talk about this? Well, one, sometimes it's just good to not like, you know, go take the next hill and talk about the next new initiative. Sometimes it's just good to thank God for his grace in you. And that's what I wanted to do today. Thank God for his grace in you. If there is one takeaway, there's one thing I'd like you to do. Uh, if, as the band joins me here on the platform, I want to invite you, if you've not yet participated in our membership weekend, let me encourage you to do that. It's a wonderful, it's a Friday night for a couple hours and a Saturday morning. Uh, several of our, almost many of our staff, we're there, I'm there, we lead that. Uh, helps us get to know you, it helps you get to know us. Um, you say, why would, we, why would we do membership? I'm going to preach a message later in the fall about where I'm convinced I see church membership in the Bible. Um, but we know that in the New Testament, in order for there to be leaders in the church, we have, there have to be people that we know are all in for the gospel and all in with vision. But I kind of see membership like a handshake. It's where you say, hey, I, I want to go all in with you. I want you to, to help me and grow in the faith together as a family. We have a number of people already signed up. If we get very many more, we'll have to move it down here. But you can sign up on the app. You can sign up on the website. We would just love for you to be a part of what God is doing right here through this broken, imperfect, but growing family in the gospel. When we think about what he's done over the last year, Pastor Caleb uh, decided to, to sing this closing song. The band's going to sing this closing song. And as they sing this song, I invite you to, to look at the screens and just in your heart, thank God for his grace and what he's done in you over the last year.
Yeah. 